630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Saves his third shutout of the tournament. Canada takes down Russia 5-0 in the World Junior semifinal today. The other semi coming up in half an hour. Finland against the United States. The Raptors trailing the Celtics 76-60. That's with 7.08 left in the third quarter. Oilers on the ice for training camp today. Well, most of them, Cahoon, Neal, Shore and Haas unfit to play. We are talking about Jesse Pugliarvi and Ethan Bear primarily in the first hour of the show. And Bear happy that he got that contract done and didn't have to miss the start of training camp. Uh, Dave Tippett likes Pugliarvi. Zach Cassian up there with McDavid and uh, Nugent Hopkins. And of course, enjoying life as McDavid's right winger. Well, I, I think if there's 700 players in the NHL, I think whoever gets slotted on the right side's going to be happy about it. He's the best player in the world. So, uh, obviously, excited to play with him. We've had success. Uh, for me to to stay there and be productive, I gotta be uh, I gotta be physical. I gotta be skating. Uh, but I gotta play between the lines. That I gotta make plays. It's it's that simple. Play with him. Uh, you gotta get up, get about the puck, get up the puck at the right times, and. Uh, at the same time, you got to do your part to to make sure we're, we're clicking not only as uh, as a line but as a team. And I'm sure Tip's going to go through and he's going to put the best pairs, best lines uh, on the ice. So uh, give us the most success. Cassian, 15 goals each of the last two seasons, including in just 59 games last year. Didn't play the entire 71. Remember, he had a couple of uh, suspensions last year. Get more on the Oilers on 630ched.com, globalnews.ca. Well, the NFL season, regular season, wrapped up yesterday. Some great storylines. Derek Henry got to 2,000 yards. Jack and I were talking about the Browns going into the playoffs. You got number one seeds for Mahomes and the Packers. The Sunday nighter, I uh, I watched most of that game. You had Washington needing to win to make the postseason. You had the Eagles potentially uh, trying to play the role of spoiler, which would have knocked Washington out and got the Giants in. The fourth quarter, especially, I, I thought at times, does anybody really want to win this game? Turnovers back and forth, some soft, sloppy play back and forth. And the Eagles uh, took out Jalen Hurts down three points and put in their third-string quarterback just kind of in let's see what this guy can do and give him some give him some playing time type of situation. Now, then you had the offensive lineman for the Eagles, Jason Kelsey, who, you know, I was reading some stuff on Twitter today from Eagles media, and they call him maybe the best offensive lineman ever to play for the Eagles. Video of him, and we're going to play the full comment here before we bring in Blake. Now, this was something he said in December from about a month ago, but it applies to what happened in the game last night. Eagle center Jason Kelsey talking about why winning should always be a priority in the NFL. Nothing else takes precedence, no player evaluation, no uh, amount of curiosity from anybody within the organization. Uh, everything is focused, in, this, in my opinion, in this league, upon winning games. Uh, you see a lot of losing teams sustain losses for a number of years uh, when they have bad cultures. They have cultures where you don't try and win every week, where you're trying to fit. What are we going to do in the draft? What are we going to do in the free agency? What can we do over here? Um, you know, in football, this isn't basketball. One draft pick isn't going to make us a Super Bowl champion. It might be a big start to a Super Bowl championship, but it's always going to be about the team. Uh, that's the greatest thing about this sport. 
and, and culture and, and, and the way guys fight and the way guys go to prepare and the guy, way guys, uh, you know, uh, go about their business is a huge reason for success in this league and in this sport. So nothing takes precedence over trying to win a football game. I don't care who you're trying to evaluate. I don't care if you've lost every game, your own 15, and it's the last one you got. Everything is about winning in this league. And I know that that, you know, and I know that that won't appease a lot of people out there that always want to talk about getting better draft positions or getting uh, looks at certain guys to see what you got for the future. But again, the moment a team feels like you as an organization aren't doing your job to, for me to go out there and win, all of a sudden you've put you've shown who you are. You don't care about me or this team. You care about the future. You care about this. That's not what the focus is here. That's not what the focus is in any winning organization's team. Well, and as we bring in Blake Dermott, Blake, I, when I saw that video last night, I, I thought it was a post-game rant by Jason Kelsey. It wasn't, but it certainly becomes relevant, and you have to wonder what he and some teammates were thinking as, uh, I mean, the Eagles never really mounted a charge with their third-string quarterback in there, even though they were down just three points when he uh, when he went into the game. There is a lot to hit on there, but I'll just start with your initial reaction to that. Well, I, I uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, uh, go Canada. I watched that game. So. Yeah. Uh, but I did I did get a chance to watch. I didn't watch the whole game last night, but I happened to turn it on just before they pulled, uh, you know, they, they went, it, they could have kicked the field goal, and then they threw the, the incomplete in the end zone. I was, uh, Jalen Hurts threw that incomplete, and then all of a sudden they pulled him. And, and I'm thinking, hmm, okay, this this doesn't seem like the, the standard uh, uh, move that you would make if you're trying to win a football game. Uh, so listening to what Jason uh had said, um, Kelsey had said in that in that whole interview. I part of me is if if I'm a player, I believe wholeheartedly, 100% that that's what the NFL is about. It, the longer you are not a player, the more you understand, the more you see the business side of it. The more I see uh, and understand what happened last night. Do I agree with what happened last night? No. But I understand what happened last night. Um, they moved up, what was it, three uh, uh, positions in the draft, the number six in the draft. I don't know if that's going to get you a franchise-type player of any kind, but it certainly is an improvement. And the other thing that I would think is that because you see you see coaches getting fired uh, regularly in the NFL, and, and most coaches are, are not in a position, comfortable position enough to think, well, you know what? I'm going to build for next year or the year after that. Uh, they're much like players. So what have you done for me lately? And so when I saw that decision by Peterson, that just to me reeked of a decision that was made above his head. Um, mm-hmm. We've got to evaluate players, and and we're going to if we win this game, it really doesn't matter. So we might as well try to get a better draft pick kind of a deal. And this to me just it looked like it was something that was out of the head coach's hands. I think you make a really good point, and you know it's like I obviously, you know, I, I've done the Oilers uh, broadcast for seven years, and before that, I was two years on Bob's show. So a lot of that was the decade of darkness, and I heard a lot of losing culture, losing culture, and I was like, well, I get it, but 
they also don't have good enough players. Like you have to have good enough players before your attitude and culture, I think, can affect what's going on on the ice or on the field. And, and like I, I look at the Eagles, like I don't think they're a loser franchise. They won the Super Bowl after going 13-3. and three. Uh, I mean, an awesome game against your Patriots in, 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 in February of 2018. And they were in the playoffs the last two years, albeit kind of a mediocre nine and seven record, but playoffs in the NFL is, is playoffs. So I've just, you know, that, that was just interesting that all this is sort of, uh, is sort of coming together because I don't like if a player was saying that on the Browns last year, like then maybe you're thinking like, Oh yeah, what a train wreck. But I, I, I don't view the Eagles as a as a train wreck of a of a franchise myself. Well, when you when you think about how quickly and and how many guys I was reading an article today, how many guys that uh, Wentz hurts uh, or, or Ertz, I believe it is, and Zach Ertz, yeah, the tight end, yeah, yeah. tight end, all pro center and quarterback, um, all three of them will be looking for someplace new to play next year. So, so and, and a lot of what Jason Kelsey said in that interview was about culture. And every time you see a shot of Jalen Hurts on the sideline, he's upset. He's upset he's not playing. He's upset he got pulled. He's upset he's not. He just, and to me, that does not look like uh, uh, the, the same team that only two years ago won the, won the Super Bowl. And, uh, and they won the Super Bowl when their starting quarterback was knocked out. Nick Foltz jumps in and, and takes him on this dream season. And, you know, surprisingly, Nick Foltz isn't there anymore either. So, so they've moved on from players, and that's what happens in pro sports. But, but this is as far as I'm concerned, not a great culture. And, uh, and, and part of it is, and, and, and this is just me talking, because if you look at Doug Peterson and what he does, Doug Peterson is one of these analytics guys. And they always talk about it when, he's, when, they're, when they're doing a, a, an Eagles game. He makes decisions that are based on numbers a lot of the times. Well, if you are a, a, a guy that is a true blue football player, there is an awful lot of question about Doug Peterson's decisions that he's made over the last number of years, and some of them great, and some of them good, and some of them just got awful, like like going for the, the, the field goal last night, or not going for the field goal last night, but obviously there's some underlying reasons why that didn't happen. But but that's what he does. He's very polarizing because of the decisions that he makes based on analytics. And and if you, if you want to see something disrupt the locker room, how about you, you, you? Nothing will disrupt the locker room better than when you start to lose as players the confidence of your coach's decision making. Well, well, yeah, I think especially in football, that that's a great way to put it. And I'm just wondering because it, like it was such a weird situation because all those teams in the NFC East they've been in the same division for ages. I mean, the Cardinals used to be in there in St. Louis and Arizona, but like they all hate each other. Three of them are these Eastern Seaboard cities with kind of, you know, loudmouth sports fans. And then, and then you got the Cowboys and their entitlement thrown in there. So, like, do you, but do you think Eagles players were thinking, like, oh, but if we win, we're going to help the Giants? Like, I would think they're just thinking, like, screw it. We'll do, we're not playing the Giants. We can screw it up for the Redskins. That's all we need to do. And, and you know what? That's, that's what most teams feel like. You know, uh, it, that's the way you feel. We're not doing this. We have no chance of bettering ourselves, first of all. Uh, if you want to find... If you want to find the most alpha male type uh, uh, 
people in the world just walk into a, a, a professional sports locker room, uh, and, and same with women as well. They, nobody in that room wants to lose for whatever reason. It's like he said at the end, if you are 0-15, you got one more chance to win because nobody wants to nobody wants to lose a game because of your ego, because of all the hard work that you put into it. And and I don't think that the uh, that they that they're sitting around thinking, well, we're gonna we're gonna help these guys out or we're gonna help those guys out. We just want to go screw them up. And that's as far as the thought process goes. We want to stop Washington. We want to end Washington season. We want to we want to send those guys home as unhappy as we are. But there's no thought about trying to help somebody else. Did you ever have? No, and I know you played on mostly good teams. Did you ever have an instance where you were thinking, "I wonder why the coach subbed this guy in," or like, "Seriously, this guy sucks at practice, and now they're going to let him play?" Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it happens all the time as players. Um, you know, and, and and the other thing is, I, I remember years and years and years ago, uh, Rod Connup and I, because we both played for so long. I remember we're sitting in, and we were roommates for forever. We we're probably in like our thirteenth or fourteenth seasons. Rod was a couple years ahead of me, and, and we're just sitting there. And and Rod turns to me and goes, "In our room, you know, we're we're just watching TV." And he goes. Do you ever just wish you were back about your fifth year when you didn't worry about anything else but your job and just coming to practice and, and practicing? Now that we're you know at this point in our, our careers, and I'm not really that threatened about somebody beating me out, but but now I'm worried about all the political stuff and I'm worried about all the coaching decisions and all that. And, and I think I think the longer you play, that happens to you as a player. You know, when when you're just in the middle of your career, the early part of your career, you don't think about any of that stuff. But but as as you get older, you start to understand the game more. Yeah, you start to question things. Blake Dermott joining us tonight on Inside Sports as we uh, talk about like that. First of all, I, I want to ask like that fourth quarter was horrible football, which is funny because Boomer Esiason made fun of Strevler. Like the that that was like high school caliber football in the fourth quarter last night. Like I said, it was like neither team wanted to win. It was so bad. That's exactly the way I felt, and and I think that uh, I think the word horrible would be uh, insulted with because <laughs> 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 so, it, it really was. I mean, I, I I the only thing that I was happy about the only thing you know Alex Smith after all that he's gone through in the last couple of years, last number of years. And uh, uh, with this horrific injury and life-threatening and leg-threatening and all of those kinds of things, to see that he's getting a chance, um, I was happy to see that. But but the reality is, I don't know if those are two good. Those two football teams are good enough, mind you. I did watch a little bit later on, and they talked about how that front seven, that front four that the Washington football team has, and going up against Tom Brady and uh, and the Bucks and the only thing that can throw Brady off really the thing that throws him off the most is pressure well that front will give them pressure but that's really I think the only thing that if if they can control that front then I think the Buccaneers could have a good day with them but that is the you know the difference maker is that Washington front and they did cause some problems yesterday but uh, no it was it was just the mistakes that were made the interceptions the fumbles the just the terrible play and uh um, you know, uh, uh, just it, it was it was not great football to watch. And as I said, I, I turned it on just shortly before or just shortly after. Uh, uh, sorry, before Hertz uh, was yanked out of that game, so I saw every bad minute of it. <laughs> the the other thing that could hurt Brady, and I know you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. That game Saturday starts at eight fifteen Eastern time, and that's 
apparently, reportedly, usually his bedtime, and he's had a couple bad games in primetime this year. So we'll see. Did it? I, I don't know. I, I didn't see it live, but I saw the the quote on, online. Chris Streveler played for Arizona. Good for him to get a shot. Didn't play great. Threw a, a pretty tough interception. And Boomer Esiason, who was doing the game because Tony Romo was out this week, uh, you know, made the the comment. Uh, well, you maybe you can get away with that in the Grey Cup, but not in the NFL. Uh, like I, to some extent, I get that. Like I might say that about a hockey player. Maybe he comes over from Finland or from the minors. But as a as a former CFLer, does that bug you a little bit, or do you just write it off as a comment made in this on the spur of the moment by a broadcaster? What do you think? Well, I, I put it this way: I think it's a comment made by a broadcaster that's uneducated about the the, the CFL, um, because there's an awful lot of throws that uh, that guys in the NFL could not make in the CFL. And I used to see that all the time from quarterbacks that came up here. So it's just, you know, he's commentating, he's doing his job, but it was uneducated and I don't think it was called for. And, and uh, the thing was, is if you saw that throw, it was a terrible throw. Uh, <laughs> he threw that into coverage and about five yards behind the guy. And, you know, it's just, it, that wouldn't have, you know what, if, if, uh, if Boomer had, had uh, been true to himself and, and, and to his commentating, that would have been a terrible throw in the CFL too, as well as the NFL. So, yeah. uh, it, it, and it, it was just—it just wasn't a good play. But that was not what Strebler was. Strebler wasn't a great passer. I don't. He was—he's a good athlete, and he runs that zone read type of a, uh, an offense. But if you got to put him in in a situation where you got to win the game with his arm, I don't care who's playing for it. You're—you're not—he's not, not going to do it very often. Well, remember that game. It might have been in 2018. Everything's a, a, a blur. But remember that game at Commonwealth? He had like 80 yards passing, and Winnipeg won the game because yeah. they just kept running. Like, so he's not the best representation of kind of a CFL chucker, anyway. So no, he's anyway. not. He's 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 the guy that can run the zone read and uh, give a different look. And uh, yeah, but it, it would have been a terrible throw in any league. <laughs> Uh, quickly before I let you go, I mean, back-to-back triple headers this weekend. It's glorious for football fans. But let's say uh, some poor guy or gal has it has a lot of responsibilities to, uh, this weekend and can only watch one game. Which one would you recommend? Oh, I, I, I honestly don't know other than uh, the Bucks, And I've become – there's two teams that I'm interested in right now. Um, I, Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay always was my number two team. Uh, I, I would I would watch Aaron Rodgers play uh, any day of the week, and I'm still at heart a uh, Tom Brady fan, and I'd like to see how far he can take this thing this year. Uh, those those are two games for me, but but how do you not want to watch Kansas City play? And I don't even know who they're playing. But well, they're uh, off though. But the Packers and Chiefs okay. got the bye, remember? So okay, so, so I don't. So I, Bucks, even, so Bucks Washington is your feature game. I would like to say Bucks Washington because of those guys. Yeah. Okay. Blake, we'll we'll do this, I'm sure, next week to talk about the playoffs. I, I really love that perspective on uh, Kelsey, and I will try not to insult the word horrible on my show in the future. <laughs> right. Okay, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> that is Blake Dervichek again, our double E football analyst, of course, a former member of the team as uh, we go over a couple of NFL storylines from the weekend. Canada did win 5 nothing. Finland and the States will start in about 10 minutes at Rogers Place. Uh, quick timeout inside sports on Chet. The 
Oilers season starts next Wednesday, 8 o'clock game against the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Place. We'll have the coverage starting with the face-off show at 6. First game action for the Oilers since they were eliminated in four games by Chicago in the qualifying round in August. Head coach Dave Tippett commented today on the organizational reaction to that loss. Well, one of the messages, we, we had to improve. We had to improve our depth and our skill throughout our lineup, and I think Ken has, uh, Ken has done that. Uh, it was obviously, obviously a slap in the face for some young guys. Ethan Bear is a young player. That was his first time in the playoffs, and uh, he didn't play very well, right, our whole group. We had a poor first game, first half of the first game. We didn't play well. After that, I didn't think we played badly, but we didn't find ways to win games. We didn't do enough take care of the details enough to win games. We lost two one-goal games that uh, I thought we played at times. We outplayed Chicago, but they beat us. And those are the lessons we have to learn. And those are uh, details, intensity at the right time, not getting uh, some saves that we needed. There was a lot of factors that come into play. But in the end of the, the, end of the day, we lost, and those things bite. So uh, that's why you got to show up with intensity this year. We've got to rectify a lot of those things and make sure we get in that situation again, we can come up with a better outcome. What did they learn from it? That's what we're going to find out as the season progresses for the Oilers. When we get back, Bob Stedward recently elevated to the rank of Companion of Order of Canada. Finland and the United States about to get underway at Rogers Place, second semifinal in the World Juniors. Canada winning earlier, 5-0 over Russia. Newhook, McMichael, Perfetti on the power play. Schneider and Cousins into an empty net. The goal scorers for Canada. Devin Levi, the shutout, 5-0. Canada takes it, so they will play for gold. The Raptors in trouble tonight. Ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. 108-83 for the Celtics, who took control of this game by outscoring Toronto 38-14 in the second quarter. Raptors just 1-4 and four on the season. The Celtics coming in at 4-3. and three. Get the latest on Oilers training camp, which is underway. First few days here at Nate. Then they'll go to the uh, downtown community arena before finally getting into Rogers Place. And the first game is next Wednesday against the Vancouver Canucks. They'll play the Canucks next Wednesday and Thursday. Go to globalnews.ca, 630chet.com to get the latest from camp. Okay, well, we got a really uh, special guest here on the line. He was recently elevated to the rank of Companion of Order of Canada after having been an officer of the Order of Canada for about the last 20 years. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Bob Stedworth. Bob, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Oh, very well, Reed. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. I, I'm sure a lot of people know your name and if they don't uh, I think they're about to find out the impact you've had on sport and Paralympic sport um, over the years first of all I'm going to start with this kind of a I don't know if it's a bit of a, a goofy question but I want to find out how do you get notified that you're being elevated to the rank of the Companion of Order of Canada? Like, is it a, a warm phone call, a nice email, or <laughs> how well, do you, you find uh, out? You get, a, of course, a, 
an email followed up by a phone call from the uh, Governor General's office in Ottawa, Rideau Hall. And uh, the email usually says, uh, um, uh, we have uh, some good news for you. And that's about it. So you have to phone and then you phone and then they let you know. So it is, uh, I, I suppose because I... I was appointed as an officer back in 1999. Uh, you sort of suspect something, but I thought it was one of those situations where the Governor General wanted to ask me about uh, being uh, supporting someone else's nomination because I've done so many of those over the last uh, 20 years or or more to help them out, uh, you know, determining whether people, you know, are are at a level of uh, commitment to Canada and internationally for their good work. So so I really wasn't quite sure, but of course, when it happens, uh, you know, you're sitting there, you know, you're shaking a bit. Uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, you, you have a lot of pride about the order and, and what it represents, and yet on the other hand, you have to be... Uh, full of humility because uh, I've always uh, worked my life both professionally and as a volunteer that uh, I've never seen anyone achieve anything uh, by themselves. It always takes, uh, you know, an army of people, of volunteers and professionals to really make things happen. Uh, I was just... uh, uh, I guess the person there who was behind uh, the wheel steering it in the direction we thought that was best for our movement at the time when we were such uh, uh, such a you know a small international organization. Well, and of course, this all stems from your work with uh, with Paralympic sport, with Paralympic athletes, and uh, wheelchair basketball over the years. If you don't mind, I'd like to go way back. I mean, you're at you're at the U of A, and uh, you know you're probably late teen, early twenties, like a lot of uh, a lot of university students. I, I believe this would have been probably in the in the mid to late sixties. What first got you involved and interested in? Um, you know, building up Paralympics and, and Paralympic athletes? Well, it was interesting, Reid. I guess it was about, it was more than 50 years ago, back in about, I guess, 1967-ish. And uh, a couple of people uh, that I had an opportunity to meet were people using wheelchairs. And they said, you know, we uh, we swim and we play wheelchair basketball and we're track and field athletes. And we know that that you've been a successful athlete yourself at the university. Would you be prepared to come out and help us uh, with our sport? And at about the same time, uh, the University of Alberta was hosting the very first national wheelchair Games. So, I, of course, I was part of the organizing committee. And from there, uh, I just, it just went from pillar to post. Uh, I was then asked right away if I would uh, take the the Canadian uh, team uh, down to the Para Pan Am Games in Jamaica, you know, a year or so later. And and it just, uh, as I said, they you're just like a vortex that bring, draws you right in. 
I, I love the way you put that, Bob. I, I can tell you this, hosting uh, hosting a sports show, which I've been fortunate enough to do for a few years and, and, and you know, being a television reporter and anchor before that, mm-hmm. there are so many great stories from the Paralympic world. Yeah. I, I think when, when I feature an athlete like that on the show, if, if Dave or I want to do it, uh, it's generally very positive reaction. Every You know, they're, they're great stories, inspiring yeah. stories, and, and still great sports stories. Uh-huh. I'm wondering, though, if that was always the case. I mean, I, I think now if somebody says, if I say to somebody, well, I'm going to have a Paralympic athlete on the show, they probably think, well, yeah, of, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. But, like, was there a case where maybe when you're taking us back 50 years where it was sort of not treated as, as normal that Paralympians would get involved? Read, uh, because in the early days, uh, most of the athletes uh, were considered patients because they came out of a hospital. Most of the people that were volunteering and helping in a coaching or the manner were doctors or nurses or physios or ward aides or whatever have you. There was no professionalism in it. And uh, and I just felt that we needed to change the structure and governance of the whole international and national uh, direction that sport for athletes living with a disability was going. So in those early days, we were really a mere fledgling caught within the superstructure of international sport. But we we worked hard. We fought for our, our rights and our recognition. We, we wanted to our dreams were clouded really with unequal uh, recognition within the within the sport milieu so I I decided that I would circulate a this uh, new look around the world who'd ever read it and uh, they did we had a major international meeting and we created the international paralympic committee with 42 nations and uh, and now we're the second largest sporting movement in the world today uh in over 200 countries so uh and i was fortunate enough to work in those early years with the former president of the International Olympic Committee, Juan Antonio Samaranch from Spain, and I was able to convince him of the importance of uh, of the Paralympic Games and Paralympic athletes uh, at that time, but even more so that I wanted to work with him to develop a memorandum of understanding where both organizations would work together so that the future uh, Olympic and Paralympic Games would be in the same city, same facilities, same venues, uh, same uh, the villages, and under one organizing committee. And no one ever thought that that would take place. It took me 12 years to get that memorandum of understanding, a little two-page document that Samaranch and I signed uh, 20 years ago in, uh, in Sydney, Australia, that formally brought the two sporting movements together. And, and of course, since then, uh, I've just seen it grow into uh, such an incredible uh, um, organization and a place where all of our athletes uh, can um, work on their goals, their dreams, and become uh, what they would like to become in life. 
Uh, yeah, well said. Uh, Bob Stedward joining us tonight on Inside Sports. He was recently uh, elevated to the rank of Companion of Order of Canada, and he's telling you about his long history with uh, Paralympics in Canada and around the world as as a as a major leader in uh, elevating the Paralympics to what they are today. I mean, that just must have been so massive. Getting the pair, I know you touched on it, but just getting the Paralympics in the same city as as the Olympics were, were being held. I mean, that's must have been the ultimate yeah. stage. Well, it was. Uh, I remember meeting uh, with uh, President Sam Ranch in, I guess, about 1987, uh, leading up to the Calgary Olympic Games. And I said, I have something to share with you. I want this and this and this to happen. So he listened. And as a result, the 1988 Olympic and Paralympic Games in Seoul are referred to uh, as the uh, beginning of the modern Paralympic Games. Uh, And from then on, uh, it was basically, while it was a bit forced, I suppose, but expected uh, that the cities uh, uh, bid to host both games, but now it's just it's just part of the the overall scene and and uh and i know that the paralympic games uh have far exceeded what the uh, what the olympic games ever thought we would do and now they're one of the most respected organizations and respected games in in the world we have very strong uh financial support from uh, from sponsors and from partners we have great support from television and uh the number of people that view the the uh games now the paralympic games it's it's uh, truly is uh unbelievable and and now i but i remember in those early days i mean i was traveling three or four hundred thousand miles a year visiting different countries of the world trying to convince them that they have problems with health and education and disability and you've got to change with you know how can i help and that's what helped with our growth and changing laws in many of the third uh, world nations uh, uh, in many uh, in many different uh, areas and now we're uh, I guess reaping the benefits but and I held down of course a full-time job at the university as a professor and formerly as you know the athletic director back in the 80s so it was uh, so what ends up happening is that that uh, that my family uh, my wife and my two daughters uh, grew up in spite of me not because of me because of the sacrifice uh, that they made and yet the the certainly the love and support that they gave me in uh, in doing what I really uh, had a passion and a and a long, and a life uh, of commitment to do Bob, thanks to you and and your your colleagues, Canada was a leader on the Paralympic stage. What other countries kind of got on board early and helped Canada with this push? Well, not many, surprisingly, Reed, because at the time there were a few independent organizations that were organized by disability and not by sport. Uh, for example, there was the spinal cord or wheelchair individuals. There was the visually impairment, cerebral palsy, and the like. So they were all 
independent from one another and it was very very difficult to bring them together to have them think outside the box that wouldn't it be nice if we created a world uh, body that was democratically created where athletes and the countries determine the direction that we were going uh, so we came together in Arnhem back in the early 80s and that's where we came up with 27 resolutions uh, to create this new organization and that's where I was then elected as the president but we did have some support from some of the nations those international federations really resisted it but I think they could see the writing on the wall that the countries that were involved such as oh Sweden Norway Finland Germany uh, France Australia um, were likely our strongest uh, uh, supporters through those uh, through those early times because they looked upon their athletes as athletes not as patients and they had a multi-disability organization not individual separate uh, organizations by disability bob i really appreciate your time i find this really interesting and you're educating me a lot tonight too on how far Paralympics has come and, and your role in that. So thanks for sharing that. I'll end with this question and maybe it's going to be the toughest one of the night. Paralympics has come a long way. Where does it need to go next? What's the next important step as you see it? Well, I still think we have some challenges ahead of us, uh, uh, Reed. One of the biggest challenges that I was involved with years ago, because of disability, athletes are classified and compete in classes where they have similar disabilities. And right now, even though they're a functional uh, classification system. It's very confusing to fans and spectators and media and sponsors alike. So we really need to do a full total evaluation analysis of our very complex classification system to make it more competitive for the athletes and to make it more understandable. Uh, we always uh, have uh, big challenges uh, that we're still the poor cousin, you know, when it comes to legitimacy of our sports. And we have to do a better job in educating and creating awareness both within the, uh, the Olympic movement and within international federations as they exist. Uh, and we still need to do a, a much better job in encouraging and providing opportunities for more young women to get involved in um, in in Paralympic uh, sport for sure and lastly we need to still get into some of these third world countries and try to improve uh, sort of the the health education and institutions of those uh, of those countries to provide opportunities for people with dis living with disability to not only uh, develop skills in sport, but just to de develop skills so they can be independent and, su and survive in society. Bob, 
Well said, Matt. I, I hope we can talk again. I mean, you're a great story and you've had such an amazing impact on obviously thousands of, of people's lives and Paralympic athletes' careers. So we really appreciate you sharing that tonight. Congratulations on being elevated to the rank of Companion of the Order of Canada. I know you're not in it for the awards and the accolades, but, but I still want to congratulate you. Thanks for checking in on Inside Sports tonight. Take care. Thank you very much, Reed. It's uh, it's been my great pleasure, and you know I'm always available to chat with you at any time. Just give me a shout. Right on. That is Bob Stedward checking in tonight. And as he mentioned, you know, he was at the U of A, eventually was the athletic director there and incredible work uh, with the Paralympic Games. And like you said, since 2000, the, whatever city has been hosting the Olympics, winter or summer, has also hosted the Paralympics, which was huge for the sport and, and very Im- important how he's talking about Paralympic athletes, that they uh, there was a time when, they were treated like you're just a patient. And and he has said, we can no longer treat our athletes like patients. They are athletes and they, uh, you know, should get the opportunity to excel. Absolutely. That was awesome to talk to Bob Stedward. About, where are we here? Eight and a half minutes into the first period, no score. Finland and the United States. Canada won 5 nothing earlier. Back to wrap it up inside sports on Chet. Hope you had a great uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I guess the most recent show we had was on the 31st Oilers training camp. I mean, it uh, started yesterday with medicals, physicals, and a very uh, loose on-ice session. The coaches weren't on the for that today. So really the first formal on-ice stuff was uh, was today. Yesi uh, Pugliarvi, I mentioned earlier in the show, I forgot how big this guy is. Hopefully he can put it together. Uh, newsflash, McDavid and Nugent Hopkins look great. Dreisaitl can still shoot the puck. <laughs> no surprises there. We'll see what happens if and when some of the players who didn't go today get uh, into action. Cahoon, Neal, Haas, and Shore not on the ice. Uh, Kara, Nygaard, and Chason were what amounted to the Oilers' fourth line. Today. I mean, other players are out there, Marodi, Benson, but I'm not doing too much on players who uh, you know, are long shots to be on the roster this year. It is, uh, I think we should note, Slater Cuckoo and Evan Bouchard were a pair, so I think you can look at those as the uh, seven and eight defensemen for the Oilers as we move towards the regular season. It starts next Wednesday, eight o'clock game at Rogers Place against the Vancouver Canucks. We'll have the face-off show at six o'clock. The uh, NHL announced the start times for all the games today. So you can go to the Oilers website to catch that. The fir- I'll just do the first week for the Oilers. 13th, 8 o'clock against the Canucks. 14th, 7 o'clock against the Canucks. 5 o'clock on Saturday, the 16th against the Canadians. So the early one on Hockey Night in Canada. Monday, the 18th is 7 o'clock against the Canadians. First road games against the Leafs, the 20th and 21st, will start at 5. No matinees for the Oilers this year. Nothing starts before 5 o'clock in the city that they are in. They will have a 3 o'clock Edmonton time game on a Wednesday in April. Kind of odd timing there. Uh, that'll be in Ottawa against the Senators. Okay, you heard a little bit from Ethan Bear, Dave Tippett, Zach Cassian tonight on the show. Go to 630 Ched, 
Oilers.com, globalnews.ca to get more on Oilers training camp. Jack Michaels, Blake Dermott, and Bob Stedward were our guests. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator this evening. So Canada will play for gold tomorrow. Still no score halfway through the first between the States and the Finns. Adler's next. My name's Reed. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.